Jensen Button, Max Verstappen, Esteban Ocon, Daniel Ricardo, Sergio Perez, Christian Horner, Nicholas Latifi, Antonio Giovinazzi, Will Buxton, Jamie Chadwick, Valtteri Bottas, Lewis Hamilton, Yuki Sonoda, Nico Hulkenberg, Serena Williams, Charles Leclerc, Gunter Steiner, Jerry Hollowell, Tiffany Cromwell, Carlos Sainz, Lando Norris, Lance Stroll, George Russell, Total Wolf, Sebastian Vettel, Pierre Gasly, Fernando Alonso, Alex Albon, Martin Brundle, Nick Schumacher, Roman Grosjean, Kimi Raikkonen. Hello! This is Roommates. We are usually four, but today we are three Americans who talk about Formula One ephemera and other racing-related things. I'm Andy. I'm Amelia. I'm Tommy. This last weekend, uh, Formula One came to America. We had the, is it the U.S. Grand Prix or the, I never know what it's actually called, at the Circuit of the Americas in Austin, Texas. It was an extremely American thing. America really came out, showed itself, which we will talk about at length. How did you guys feel about the race? I loved it. Yeah, I, I really liked it too. Unfortunately, I, I had to watch the race with no audio, but I was still glued to it in a very packed sports bar on the, the one screen that they were willing to put on for me. But yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. Even with the audio off, I was glued to the last like 15 laps or so once the the tire management drama with uh, Lewis and Max started. Yeah, yeah, this was definitely another understanding what's going on made me appreciate this race a lot more. And I wouldn't have three months ago because a lot of it was just like, whose tires are going to last? I have on, on the Lucy section, though, is that the track looked cool as hell. And I think we talked about this during the quality, though, that the cars looked super fast and it felt like you were watching race cars more than I think any other course that I've seen. That that one long shot that they would give of the cars just like weaving and occasionally like almost drifting through it was so sick, especially honestly, even more so during quality. Up until the last session of qualifying, Perez was really performing incredibly and he was the fastest. So he had preliminary pole. But in the very like last possible seconds of qualifying, Max outpaced him and so did Lewis. So he you know, went from having that preliminary pole back to P3. But that moment was incredibly exciting. And he got audible cheers from the crowd when that happened. I like how we've all gone from qualies for nerds to really enjoying quali also in what, like two months less. Like, I've been on free. Yeah, Amelia, you were always in the quali. So yeah, like I'm I, an early adopter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was, I was. A hater, and now I'm no longer a hater. We have lots to say in terms of Checo, but I want to talk about the exciting things of the actual racing before I start talking about the like actual, all the cultural stuff, because there's a lot to talk about. I have written down here both teams played hard. I don't think anything could have been done differently for that race to turn out differently. I think just in case anyone doesn't know, Max Verstappen won, Lewis Hamilton came in second, and it was like coming down to the wire. But he barely got the lead down to under a second. And I think he didn't have a chance to turn DRS on at the one moment where he really would have been able to maybe pass. But I mean, like, there were no notable mistakes, really. It was just excellence on both sides. And that was really cool. Yeah. It was also like really good, clean, hard racing. There's, there were no disputes, which like, I think WTF won did that episode on will they crash <laughs> which okay i guess like a fair question for like a, a three minute segment of pure speculation but i i would have hated it if that had happened honestly i like the conflict of it when everything is disputed it's just going to solely everyone's win you know and their loss is going to always have a question mark next to it too 
I mean, I am always here for the drama because I am a messy bitch, but I appreciated just a, a clean race. Oh, I also have to notice that this was another race that came down to DRS technicalities and problems lapping. Uh, when Max had to lap Mick Schumacher, he lost like two seconds. And I have noted down here, that's probably the most Haas has impacted a race in the entire season. Yeah. And so it's true that it, it did take Max some time to pass Mick, but also in passing him, Max actually gained DRS, something that Lewis failed to achieve. So I think he got back those two seconds and possibly then some. And I know like Mick was criticized for not, you know, moving out of the way. And he made a comment like, well, you know, I was also driving my own race. Like I had to like focus on my results. And like, that's kind of fair because he was actually competing with Latifi and that for him is a big deal. Well, when I said DRS technicalities, I was also going to bring up, I don't understand why you get DRS when you are behind someone you're lapping. That doesn't, I don't understand that. I haven't gotten a clear answer as to why that's the case. And it seems weird to me because you don't need DRS to lap somebody. <laughs> it's not important if you lap somebody, you like, you know, as opposed to passing somebody. I just think in general, like if you're in the position to potentially lap somebody, then it could be, you know, costing you more valuable grid positioning than someone who's being lapped. So I do think it's fair to provide DRS. Like you, you hear a lot about people who just like need to get the hell out of the way in quality. And it's, uh, it's just that's, not fair. That's the whole point of the blue flag though, is the blue flag <laughs> is supposed to be like, you need to get out of the way. I don't care what's going on. The front runners are coming through F your cute little battle for P15. I mean, whatever. It's another weird thing that I like about the sport. Like it doesn't make any sense to do that. And therefore it's weird and there's drama. And, you know, had Mick Schumacher not been there, had he been, a second ahead or behind, it would have been a different race. I don't think the outcome would have changed necessarily, but like, you know, that's once again, the universe conspiring to make Formula One weird. And we love it. We love that about Formula We love it. We love that for them. Let's see. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, our good friend, Terry Bottas, P6 after starting P9, because he took yet another piece of his engine. I think we can all agree that Terry pre-signing with Alpha would have phoned it in and probably gotten like P14, but we actually saw him fighting for a position. And that was really cool because the battle for what P9, P10 was pretty intense the entire race. Yeah, it was very tight. And it was cool to see him actually overtaking in the Mercedes, which they say is not meant for that and not good at it, especially with Botas' driving. So it was, yeah, great to see otherwise. I mean, that whole battle of Yuki. I want to talk about Yuki because Yuki had what his best race of the season. Our boy, Yuki Tsunoda, our foul mouthed Japanese friend, made it to Q3, finished P9, I think, P8, finished in the points though. He was up there battling with Carlos Sainz and Danny Ricardo too. I think he took on anyone he could. He pulled it together in a way we've been waiting for him to all season, which is cool. Yeah. Love to see it. Extra porridge for Yuki. What else? Well, Fernando Alonso had an interesting race, uh, <laughs> to put it mildly. He spent a lot of time on team radio. He spent a lot of time swapping places with Gio and getting into a scuffle with Kimi, who like just does not really give a fuck anymore. You know, he was really about to risk it all for P13. Like, yeah, he, he was, it was great. It was great. And like, 
you know, he's trying to prove points about track limits and inconsistencies with, with rules and Alpines on the radio saying, you know, is it fair for a driver to overtake someone like this? And, you know, they're saying no. And he's like, well, that's exactly what just happened. <laughs> like, you know, it's very sassy. It's very heady. It's dramatic. There are probably better ways to air grievances or, you know, point or question any supposed inconsistencies other than in real time during a race. But Fernando, it's not going to do that. He's going to be, yeah, messy and dramatic about it. And that's why we love him on the grid because he's yeah. just... Alpine's entire race strategy is I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. <laughs> what? Yeah, that that's exactly the type of thing that we love about Fernando is like, no matter what position he's in, he cannot really have a chance at anything better than P19 as a finish it, but he will give every single drop that he's got to get P19 in that case. Right. But it's not even like, man, he's got the heart of a champion. He's like, you know, if he's, if all he can do is P19 by God, he's going to go out there and get it. It's like, no, man, he will fight you. But like, it's mostly about him being petty, which is the funniest part of it. Yeah, no, totally. It's, it's the piss and vinegar approach to, uh, to competition that I really adore about him. Yeah. 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 And unfortunately both Alpines retired from the race. Ocon, got kind of scuffed up in like the first lap and then was complaining about problems with the rear of his car and yeah, had to retire. And Alonzo ended up retiring too. It's a bummer. Which is even funnier that he was out there throwing bows to try to scrap for P12 or whatever. And then he's like, all right, I'm done. And just doesn't. <laughs> you get some financial benefit from retiring early, basically. Like the implication being that like, you're going to need to buy parts to fix the car if you retire for technical reasons. So, you know, he puts in what, like, 40 laps of just scrapping, chewing dirt, spitting, cussing, and then just like folds. It once again underscores how petty it is. Like, you know, nothing was ultimately at stake. And yet yeah. he's like so much energy into something that doesn't matter, which I love to see. Yeah. Just there was never going to be anything. One, There were no points really up for grabs here whatsoever. And he didn't even finish the race. He just was annoying for an hour and then retired. You could never make like I've won, but at what cost meme about Alonzo, not only because he will never win again, but also because he does not give a shit about the cost. Yeah, it's great. Like, it's like, you know, everything matters and nothing matters. It's a wonderful combination. What else happened in the race? I mean, whatever. It was exciting. Gasly retired. He had suspension issues. That was sad to see again because he's got some pretty terrible luck and we just want to see him get consistent p5 yeah yeah i think that was really the highlights danny rick backed up all his bullish by getting points lando had a quiet weekend yeah i know we weren't really expecting another danny rick win by the end of the season slash maybe ever again but it was kind of funny to see like all of the the media circus around him just reinforcing his like I'm so American shtick and for him to just like quietly come in P5, not really <laughs> sort of headline at all. <laughs> well, we'll talk about his, his I'm so American shtick in a minute, but it is really funny for him. For Well, it's very Formula One for it to be like him to be kind of the star of the weekend and to be driving the Dale Earnhardt car and everything. And then like what happens? He gets P5, which like is a big deal if you've been watching Formula One all season. And, you know, Danny has been struggling and then he won the race now you know p5 good for him but like still if you just haven't really been paying attention they've been following this guy all week and he's you know acting a damn fool and then he goes out and gets like fifth place it's got to be really like 
a strange way to end the weekend if you're not familiar with the sport. Yeah, I think like if I was just a casual person, I would be like, wait, this guy got fifth? Like <laughs> so much attention and like this is all he's got to show for it. Like it's I got- feel it's got a lot of the, the energy of like the, you know, the comic of the guy like getting the medal, popping open the champagne, kissing the girl and you zoom out and you see he's third place. Like it's that kind of thing. You know what that, I'm talking about? That is his career incarnate. Yeah. Yes. Well, the opposite of incarnate, but yeah. <laughs> well, all right. Let's, I don't think we have that much more to say about the race. Let's talk about Danny Rick. You guys want to talk about Danny Rick? You want to talk about America? You want to talk about Texas? You want to talk about freedom? You want to talk about freedom? You want to talk about uh, sheet cakes? You want to talk about Splunk driving? <laughs> you want to talk about WebEx by Splunk? <laughs> so Danny Rick is a uh, second generation Italian man from Australia. And a, a lot of Europeans moved to Australia to live out their weird idea of the American dream, I think, is how it was described to me by other Australians. And Danny is obsessed with that idea of America which is obviously very problematic, but also very funny and ridiculous. And like, like when I was in seventh grade and I went to England and I like made a joke about scones as soon as I got there and got dirty looks from like a woman in a bakery. And my dad reprimanded me for acting an idiot. That was the energy I got from Danny Rick. It's just child who vaguely understands America going to Texas for the first time. And that that is the energy, but the the reaction is the exact opposite of of how it would happen if you went and said scones in, or something in a mocking accent. Like we somehow completely adore this. I mean, like I, we love him because we want to love ourselves, and if he loves us, that gives us access to that feeling. Ooh, say more. Hold on, Amelia. Please dig into this uh, deep psychic trench. Well, I mean, if Danny is reflecting that he, you know, has this fascination with America and, you know, really feels at home here and feels so, you know, welcome and loves the people and loves the different cultures, that's validating for us as Americans. Like that's saying like, hey, you're doing something right. Like, I like what I see. I like something about you. And of course, that's going to be well received by us Americans. Whereas, you know, if Andy as a little boy is going to England and like mocking scones, someone's going to be like, get the fuck out of here. Like you're disrespecting my culture. Like Danny's doing the opposite of that. He's lauding our culture. Like he's exaggerating it and he's doing a terrible Texan accent, but it's from a place of deep, weird appreciation. And that feels good as an American because it's like. Heart is in the right place. Yeah. yeah. Like he's getting it wrong. He's like really not cool. He's going to all these touristy places thinking that they're like local favorites but, you know, his heart is in the right place and he does seem to have this, you know, real fondness for America or what he thinks of as America. And for us, it's like charming and weird. I think that the issue is that we're representing such a, a deep polarity here between the people who would observe no irony or, or shame in, in his behavior and the people who are so incredibly bitter and, and resentful of our country like us <laughs> that we can't help but ironically love it in some sort of way, I guess. Yeah, it's like watching a child, you know, it's like, oh, you don't know any better. Like his approach to America would be like our approach to Belgium. Like, like, you know, you and I would show up and be like, hell yeah, let's drink some Stella and get some waffles and laugh about the, the name Walloon or whatever. You don't usually see someone come to America with such a surface idea of America and go all in on it. It's true. I think a, a big part of my deep loathing on some level of Danny Rick is the, the phrase, 
Italian Australian sends such a shiver down my spine, but it's like a half step removed from like German Argentine, but for entirely <laughs> different reasons. <laughs> if you were to ask a, a German Argentine what their you know folks were doing in the 30s and 40s, you you probably wouldn't want to know the answer. You, you also wouldn't want to know in the case of an Italian Australian, but it's because they were engaged not in World War II, but in the the Emu War, uh, an equally. <laughs> Hold on, the emu uh, war was fruitless endeavor. How did it start again? Why were there so many emus? I don't know why, but the populations were insanely huge. But I mean, the second that the military showed up and started trying to cull the populations, the uh, the giant mass of emus just kind of split into very small groups, not unlike the Battle of Waterloo. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I say or, knowing, yeah, that honestly. Yeah bringing out the military to try to kill all the emus in their natural habitat when they're like, what? We're just going to run. We run 50 miles an hour. You're not going to stop us. I just I don't, wish that they had had like cassowaries on their side or something. Cassowaries are terrifying. Dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, I guess like it's not just the sort of weird, very surface level of uh, appreciative America that you so rarely see anybody have. It's also just this like golden retriever of a man who really doesn't have any reason to know better in most situations. It is kind of like a best case scenario. Like he's just a big happy guy and being happy, which is cool. A little bit cringe, but cool. Yeah, I'll say something that no matter how many times we go through this, I constantly find myself going back and forth between just like completely loathing him and, and wanting him to to disappear like the snap of a finger to begrudgingly loving the guy. There's, there's something at play there. I, I have to give it up. He shows like moments of greatness and he's not reserved at all in the way that most of the drivers on the grid are reserved. So like he provides a welcome contrast, but sometimes it's annoying. He's got like the sort of last generation bravado and swagger to him. And also he's had kind of a, not a rough career, but you know, it's been a little disappointing. He was supposed to be the golden boy and he wasn't. And he's kind of in this weird second, third stage of his career. But meanwhile, he really seems to be enjoying himself. And it's kind of hard to be mad about that, even though he's an Italian Australian man wearing a cowboy hat, doing an entire interview in a terrible Texas accent. Terrible. What is more American than that? <laughs> Texas is sort of like super America, you know? Like, <laughs> it makes the least sense to do that in Texas. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Maybe this will lead us into a, a different chapter of the episode here. Seeing the, the spectacle that Coda was, and it was quite a spectacle, what are we expecting out of the type of crowd, activities, general ambiance, etc.? at a race like Miami, especially in light of the very odd ticketing crisis that happened over the last couple of days. More celebrities, more rich people. Wait, more say more about the ticketing crisis because I missed I Damn, I, I honestly, I, I wish I'd, I'd researched this a little bit more before I brought this up, but I've had a couple of friends text me and ask me if I'd gotten any tickets because the, the pre-sale stuff sold out instantly. Apparently it was like $1,000. <laughs> They're only expecting a, an attendance. I think David actually said this part of something 80, like, uh, what, 80,000, 80, right? Down from the, uh, the 400K at Coda, which, you know, granted it's a new event. It doesn't have the established appeal and everything, but yeah, I don't know that there's going to be a lot more tickets released. If they how, could, much, how much are tickets for Coda? We could ask David. But, I think like $350 for a weekend pass. Okay. That's, not that. That's like a music festival. Plus there yeah. was actually music. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, like David made it seem as though the money that he paid for transportation and food was like well in excess of what he paid for the tickets. That's that's the thing, right? I mean, like, granted, Austin is not the most densely urban environment. The public transit probably isn't going to be anywhere near up to par. And I don't it's, think it's like it's like 20 minutes south of Austin, too. It's not even in Austin. Yeah, you're, you're pretty much near like Lockhart, which is also a fantastic barbecue town. You should totally go. You can also go shoot guns and drink beer really close by. That's most of Texas. Yeah, it's probably barbecue. <laughs> you can probably shoot guns like that's yeah, the, the speed limit is 80 or something. Yeah, there. the speed limit is 80. You can buy spurs in, in the gas station. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know because the Miami circuit's actually like more in an urban area, isn't it? It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, is it a, is it a street race or is it do they build a circuit? No, they built something called the Miami Autodrome. <laughs> Directed by John Carpenter. I say Cronenberg, but that works too. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the Miami Videodrome, but nice try though. <laughs> Miami Videodrome. <laughs> Bringing body horror to Formula One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Miami, I'm assuming, is just going to be even more Miami in which there's going to be more celebrities. It's going to be more of like all-star weekend, Super Bowl type thing. It'll be like Monaco. Yeah, but for America. Yeah. Was Monaco or Serena wave the flag? Yeah. The subtext of all of this is like Formula One in America and a lot of the discussion about this as Formula One's like official coming out party in America. Drive to Survive obviously did its thing in terms of establishing Formula One as like a cultural phenomenon in America and led to the four of us having a podcast about it. But the fact that it actually was such a huge success and the race was good and Shaq was there was a real moment in terms of Formula One coming to America. And I would expect Miami to just be like a continuation of that. But as a side note though, like, well, okay. One thing I think it's also interesting is the Mexican aspect. From what I heard, Checo got the most cheers. Like he was far and away the, the most popular driver there. Speaking of Mexicans, there our our very own David was uh, was in attendance. Yeah, and, uh, I, I really wish that he could be here this week to to share his insights. But maybe we'll, we we can do a quick roundup with him on the next episode. Ninety seconds of Coda with David. Ninety seconds of Coda with David. <laughs> that would be so cruel. <laughs> <laughs> David, you have ninety seconds to sum up what was probably the most exciting thing you did all year. Can he get um, back the uh, the extra seconds that he didn't need for the last? Two or three episodes that we've made. No, I'm sorry. They do not roll over. <laughs> I think we should give him 90 seconds to complain about the transport situation, which was apparently a nightmare. Yeah. Just to make it clear, our number four, the fourth person on the podcast is not here because he's been traveling. And part of the travel was he was at the race last weekend. And everything he told us really did seem to like echo all the hype. But he also told us it was a pain in the fucking ass to get anywhere near it and the shuttle didn't run and you couldn't get an Uber and it was bad. The line for fries was really long, apparently. You couldn't get what fries. The line for fries, French fries. That's not very American. We, we know damn right well that would never, all, I mean, it would never fly in Belgium either. <laughs> <laughs> they have socialized French fries in Belgium. <laughs> <laughs> and then, all right. Finally, Americans are going to get interested. But I mean, just think, dear listener, we were able to send one of our correspondents to a race without any of your valuable contributions. So imagine if you were to start giving money to the Patreon that does not yet exist, what we would be capable of. 
Think about the goals we can set up for things we will do if we go to Miami. Yeah. Just, just think about it because I'm not going to commit to anything verbally. That would be binding in the state of New York. We will rent a zip car and do donuts in the parking lot of the Gravesend Target. But I don't have a license, but it doesn't matter. I'm still going to do it. You know what? If anything, Amelia, that makes you even more qualified to be the one doing donuts. I think that should be our first Patreon goal is Amelia learns to drive. Yeah, at, uh, school. at 100 Patreon subscribers, Amelia <laughs> driving school. I'm going to teach you. It's not, <laughs> it'll be fine. I'm going to teach you in a zip oh, car. Yeah. You, you claim to support women in motorsport because you watch <laughs> W series. Uh, how about just uh, a woman behind the wheel of an average car? <laughs> Tired, <laughs> Formula W, hour. wired, getting your fucking license. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear about super points. I want to hear about you like passing your driver's test. Let's make it happen with a hundred. Make it happen with a hundred. One hundred subscribers. Amelia will learn. One hundred subscribers donating one hundred dollars a month. <laughs> and Amelia will get her license and the rest it. of the money will go to me. Keep that on the low. Don't put our business in these streets, man. <laughs> These tickets uh, to Miami aren't going to pay for themselves. So yeah, Checo, Mexico, cool to see it. This is an aside, but I don't particularly like Checo. He's not one of my favorite drivers, but qualifying. There's so much of the aspect of the driver versus the course. And it's like you versus the world. Yeah. Like you're racing against other people, but really like it's you versus the road and your ability to control the car and everything. And when you're just watching someone try to beat their time, like it's hard not to root for them. And especially in the context of it being like Checo in Texas in front of potentially a generation of fans seeing their first race. That was really cool and exciting. I think that aspect of qualifying like really brings out something that I like about Formula One, which is that they have all of this data and they have all of these ideas about who's going to perform better on what weekend, on what course. And like sometimes that just straight up doesn't happen. And it's like unclear why. Like this was presumed to be a Mercedes course and Red Bull was not thought that they were going to be as quick. And, you know, that just wasn't true. And there wasn't any material reason that anyone could really point to. And that's cool to me. It's humbling. It's cool. It's funny also because nothing means anything. Yeah. Like it's all made up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, something I, I just started thinking about about 30 seconds ago. So forgive me if I'm entirely wrong, which I, I usually am. Tom, but, Tommy, off the, off the top rope with a poorly thought out idea. Let's go. Yeah, I've been thinking about like the... Uh, no, you know what? That's stupid. Why am I going to say that? <laughs> say it. Now you have to. <laughs> okay. So like thinking about like uh, Formula One racing or racing, any sort of racing with a quali in terms of like World of Warcraft... <laughs> And um, <laughs> okay, so if if race day is a type of Warcraft combat, it would be PvP. It would be player versus player because it's racers competing against each other. On Quali, it's PvE. It's player versus the environment. They're just dealing with the track. They're dealing with the weather. They're dealing with all of the natural ambient stuff that's going to be affecting them, right? But somehow, and this is where I, I really lose myself. Uh, I wanted to tie this back to Checo had diarrhea. <laughs> um, that is probably the most important thing that we're going to talk about this week. Yeah. I can't believe we got this far without talking about Checo's diarrhea, which like, 
I mean, also Checo's broken water bottle. Like not only did the man, yeah. did the man have mud butt of epic proportions, but he also was unable to hydrate for the entire race, which really. Okay. Sure. Sure. But here's what's unfair. Okay. He went and he earned our otherwise completely fair and well-earned pity at the fact that he could not drink anything during that race. But it wasn't until after that, that it became very clear that that was for the best, because if he had drank anything, it probably would have immediately flushed out of his system. And he would be maybe, well, no, not the first, because we can't forget about Charles Leclerc earlier in the season, who shit in his suit in addition to pissing in it. Well, I guess he would be peeing out of his butt. So that's, you know, kind of neither here nor there. But. It was just really extreme Dune cosplay. Also, like, he can dish his suit, like, that's not his problem. Sergio Perez can absolutely diarrhea all over his race car and he'll probably be apologetic about it, but like, I don't think that would stop him. No, it happens. It happens. Nothing to be ashamed of. No, absolutely. Yeah. That just makes his, his, well, he finished P3, right? Yeah. He got in P2. Hey. <laughs> Well done. Well done. Nailed it. Let's see. So you wrote no booing in Texas, right, Amelia? Who do we think would have gotten booed that didn't? Well, I think it's less who would have gotten booed, but more like there's been so much booing this season. Like in Silverstone, there was booing at Max for Lewis. And in, you know, Zandvoort, there is lots of booing at Lewis for Max. And there's just been random saltiness from the crowds throughout the different circuits all around the year. And it was very notably absent in Circuit of the Americas where like everyone just seemed really happy to be there and like really happy to see everyone and like anything cool that happened on the track got a cheer. So it felt very different, especially from the last race in Turkey where like the, the crowd was pretty sedate, not as calm as that 2009 race we watched, but yeah. pretty low energy. People at this game, at this game, at this race, like, I don't know if they were rooting for anybody. Anyone that's watching, you know, old heads are probably really excited to see, you know, who's going to win, Lewis or Max, and, you know, really the implications of the championship and everything. But ultimately, like, this was just like a spectacle. When you have a spectacle, you're not, it's not necessarily a sport. And I think it's interesting to see marketing Formula One in America as a sport versus marketing as a spectacle. Because I don't think marketing as a spectacle is necessarily a problem. I don't think if you're going to like the Hungarian Grand Prix, you're going to the Hungarian Grand Prix because it's the Hungarian Grand Prix. You're not going to not go because it's not going to be a good race. I guess I've seen a lot about this like lingering idea that there needs to be rooting interest. There needs to be like a Yankees and a Red Sox, whoever. Like, there needs to be the two rivals at the front and people need to know who to root for. You need to pick a side. When in reality, like, and I've said this from the jump, Formula One is a small sport with 20 drivers and it's a reality show basically. And one of the best things about Drive to Survive was that for better or for worse, the leaders weren't in the first couple seasons. So you learned about the weirdos at the back. Max Verstappen said that he's not going to do Drive to Survive this season. And I think he's not doing himself any favors because he's a weird, aloof guy and honestly not very likable, except for the fact that he's very good at driving. First of all, we're talking about F1 positioning itself less as this great athletic endeavor and more as an event, a spectacle, something that's yeah. like a festival. Everyone can participate in it. And there's, yes, the thrill of the win, but that ultimately doesn't matter because it's an event in real time. It's like, the Super Bowl or All-Star Weekend. I mean, even it's like well, going to an NFL game. I mean, there's not very many of them. So going to NFL games or even college football games more so are just like going is half the fun. 
Let's start with no booing in Texas. The fact that there's no booing means that with the exception of the Latin American contingent really pulling for Chico, people were there because it was a fun thing to do, not necessarily because they were there to see a sporting event. And I think that that is counter to so much of the narrative that I saw in a lot of the articles about Formula One finally conquering America, which seemed to sort of miss the point that like what's being built here is not necessarily the next big sport where people are going to root hard for one guy or the other guy. Yeah. It's, it's a party. Like it's a fun time. Like, of course there's the very serious sporting aspect of it, but that wasn't the vibe at the USGP. It was just people hanging out and watching cars go fast. And, you know, if the guy they like won, like that's really cool, but it didn't really seem to be about that. This is, this is the type of question that I'd really like to ask somebody who's been to like many races before, especially like over the years, what the, the pulse of the crowd felt like before the Netflix series, even like, you know, before Liberty Media took over. Because the oldest fan of the series that I really know, I guess my friend Audrey's boyfriend, Chris, has been watching for like five, six years. But, you know, David's been watching since the first season of, of DTS. And he owns merch from like three or four drivers. Like he's like us, he's happy to see pretty much anybody win, you know? Except um, for Lewis. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I mean, like, you know, I think we all would appreciate a, a good Lewis win. And if this was a runaway max season, I would, you know, appreciate a, a Lewis win all the more. And I, I imagine the same would be said for you guys, but I'm just curious if that sort of spirit of like, you know, we're, we're here for the show. There are people that we, we prefer, or there's people, there's people that we like, but there's no one that we're, we're going to like a, a Bills fan. I'm not going to like go home and murder my family or something because my guy lost, you know, that doesn't seem to be part of the spirit of F1. There's, I'm wondering how that is. I mean, there's no heels in the sport. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I mean when you read about it, so much of the turnaround about Formula One was about Liberty Media taking it over and turning it from this sport for like geezers that was basically just like a bunch of strong men driving around the course in silence with very little commentary and gatekeeping who knew the most about cars and stuff to a more accessible sport that you know had better commentary and was easier to get into. And Part of that was making it America ready. Do we know what all AWS really contributes here? Because I did read in, in one of the, the many articles about like the coming out uh, party aspect of this weekend that AWS isn't really getting a, a fair shake in, in how compelling the infographics and, and the, the real-time data that they're providing are for, for making the sport more compelling to watch for people who don't really have like a long history with it. I mean, do you guys feel like the the AWS advanced statistics? How do you feel about them? Do you like them? I don't always like fully believe that just because they, for example, like they say like, oh, like within eight laps, so-and-so will be in striking distance of so-and-so. Like I don't necessarily put a whole lot of stock into the idea that that's going to happen, mm -hmm. but just knowing that a, a computer has made an analysis that that is, is something that may or may not happen in that specific time frame. It's an, an ENIAC with like a, a sorry, just like a room, a computer, the size of, the, of a, a floor of an office building run on like tapes. A little, yeah, exactly. like printing out like a printout to some guy in a lab coat rips it <laughs> off and it goes eight laps 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But no, I, I think like my opinion of this is we all three started watching during this season, which is a apparently like a, a season for the freaking record books. Right. Mm. So, you know, if we were to have gotten to do it in another season, especially one like 2019 or, or before where it was almost a guarantee at Mercedes top two and even further downfield, maybe not a huge amount of action. Having access to that sort of data would keep you glued to your TV or your computer screen or whatever in a way that it just wouldn't otherwise. Like, you know, in the pre-Liberty era, like just hearing some old British guy like drone on, not really saying much and not nothing really happening. Like, this is why when I was a kid and I like tried to watch racing because my uncle was really into it, I would just be like, all right, I'm bored. I want a cartoon, you know, granted yeah. I, was, I was a kid, but you know, we all have yeah. kind of short attention spans as adults too. Yeah. Our, our, our fidgety podcast. Yeah. I mean, I think that nothing else, the AWS gives us some benchmarks to compare against and some expectations that like, mm -hmm. you know, for as much as we've talked about how like, now I have an appreciation for tire degradation and the fact that, you know, this will get closer because one of the drivers is on fresher tires. But having AWS say, actually, not only is one of the drivers on fresher tires, there's this much fresher and this is how many laps until they catch up, even if it's wrong. And David loves to point out how none of those numbers are mean anything and are pretty much consistently wrong. It still gives you something to, to compare it against. And I think that makes a huge difference as a spectator. Totally agree. And I think even when the numbers are wrong, it's, it's stimulating a conversation and stimulating a curiosity about like what's happening in the race, which makes you want to continue watching it to see if it's true. But again, like if you don't care who wins, I guess there's a continuum here. There's not caring who wins at all. And there's only caring if one person wins. And so like a lot of the energy this weekend was on one side where people were just like excited there was a race, which is fine. And the thing that the sport is trying to avoid is we only have fun if one person succeeds. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess like the AWS stuff is helping establish a middle ground. Do you know who said the thing about AWS not getting credit? Uh, it, it might have been one of the like 30 articles I read on ESPN, but I'm, I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. To your point about what you just said about uh, you know it, it, it not being a, a thing where I just don't give a shit if one person doesn't win, that's such a huge factor. Like I don't care about the World Series because the Red Sox aren't in the World Series. Mm -hmm. I was only actively watching games and keeping up when it became a, a question of if they would get into the playoffs. And once they did, I paid attention to the playoffs, but the second they were eliminated, I don't, I mean, like if I see a headline that says that the team that beat the Red Sox lost, I'll be happy, but I won't tune in for it. Right. I just won't. And that, you know, those like loss of, of viewership numbers among people like that, or that's gotta be huge for them. Yeah. Like I'm not a football fan. I watch the Steelers if that, and that's about it. Yeah. Really, I think when you watch sports, you don't have teams per se. Like what is your take on all this? My take is I, I love them all. Like, <laughs> I think they're all great. And if any of them win, like, I'm really happy. Like, I feel like I watch Formula One the same way I watch basketball. Where well, no, like, I was going to say, I meant, I meant other sports besides Formula One. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm thinking about basketball now. Like, I'm I'm happy for whoever wins. Like, but I, like when you watch the you watch the Pacers play, like, the Pistons, you're just yeah. excited to be watching basketball? Absolutely. It's a good time. Okay. Because, I mean, I think that, like, part of, you know, to go back to the way we started this podcast, like honestly, the most exciting thing that happened, all things considered, the most exciting thing that happened in the race was like Yuki Tsunoda supremacy. Like that dude's never done anything, and we want we want him to, and he finally did something. And like, 
There's also something here about the two ways you watch sports. I think before the internet were basically like you're gambling or you have a team. And increasingly you're able to sort of see the gray areas and Formula One is a good sport for gray areas because you can really appreciate small victories. Do you guys know anything about, I don't really know that much about NASCAR, but there's much written this week about like, what does this mean for NASCAR as it is for like, what does it mean for Formula One in America? Yeah, I honestly, I wish that I did know more about NASCAR because there was some really, really compelling, um, well, compelling seeming to the uninitiated articles written about it. There was one today that I missed, but it was like the rise of F1 and the demise of NASCAR happened at the exact same time in an Austin slash uh, Houston or something or wherever uh, the hell they were race weekend. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. I read some quotes from like Hamlin, who I guess uh, co-owns a, a team with Michael Jordan, who recently won a, their first championship. And uh, ticket sales were like just complete. He was complaining about how it's it's mostly an issue of promotion. Hamlet himself was saying like I'm increasingly uh, a big F1 fan. He liked a lot of the things that they were doing, but he just had a, an issue with just the the whole system of management for NASCAR. He was talking a little bit about how much it costs to park a trailer at a NASCAR event for people to like sell things, and it's prohibitively expensive. My guess is that NASCAR is maybe entering like a, a micro version of the the period that F1 was entering before the Liberty Media takeover, where its its old model has grown kind of stale. It's not getting any new fans, or at least not the same, you know, level of intake of, of new fans. It's something that's, you know, a runaway success. It's really transferred well to the digital age like F1 has. And uh, it's just really paying the consequences right now. I don't know that it's like the beginning of the end or let alone the end of NASCAR. Uh, it's got still a gigantic fan base, but it does seem that it's complete dominance is definitely slipping. Well, and again, this is knowing nothing of okay, yeah. articles. So please don't, don't hold me to this. We are uh, all blind as hell on this. Please don't send me any hate mail. Yeah. But it's interesting that that person is trying to compare NASCAR to Formula One and saying that, well, F1 is having this big moment now, but, you know, for us at NASCAR, there's this big change where now everything is prohibitively expensive and access has really shifted. And that's like still kind of F1's problem. Like that's like not any different from, from NASCAR right now, other than, you know, F1's skyrocketing popularity, but like materially, like that's describing very much like the situation with Formula One, I think. Yeah. But I think I think the problem is that the NASCAR like infrastructure is kind of calcified and as much as like these are the places there are races, this is the amount of money they get per race. This is kind of a problem in a lot of sports where the money is guaranteed because there's TV rights. So there's no actual incentive to like put any effort into doing well. Like there's no effort into making a better baseball team because you have a stadium and you have TV rights. So you get this much money and there's revenue sharing. You know, and I think that. There's, I, I mean, the NFL and college football are kind of going through a similar dichotomy because like the NFL, it's very stable. It's this huge cash cow, but it's mostly built on its, its reputation as a huge cash cow. And they like added another game. And so now there's Thursday night games and the Thursday night games were like on NBC and then they were on Amazon and then they were on Facebook. But now Amazon is trying to push the Thursday night games as like, we have football, but it's like, you have the worst football though. And 
it's like a very like American kind of corporate thing where everything is stable. The power structures and the financial structures are stable. So no one really tries. It's just a matter of like stability and reliability and keeping things the way they are. Whereas like college football, because it's totally unregulated, things are different from state to state. It's all about recruiting and who has the most access to the best players and money under the table so you can pay coaches $100 million and they can be the single most compensated state employee. It really is like the Wild West in a way that makes it a lot more exciting. I mean, I don't even watch college football, pay attention to it, but I know like college football culture is just like, I don't know, way more exciting than NFL culture at this point. The thing about Formula One is like, it's expensive. It's horribly expensive, but it's not stable. Like it costs a lot of money to get a team, to run a team, and to keep running a team year to year. Even though the costs are astronomically high, what it's still a challenge to get that much money. So, and I think that's sort of like a razor's edge about it is, you know, everyone's year to year, you don't know who's actually going to be there. I, I mean, I think things are more stable than there were in like the 70s and 80s and everything, but like, Haas could not come back next year. They don't have a lot of money. They're basically living and dying by one Russian billionaire's son being in the league. And, and like, there's no guarantee they're going to come back next year. And like, we don't know where the races are going to be year to year. We don't even know when the race is going to be when the season starts. We don't know who's going to be driving next year. Yeah. Like, there's so many questions up in the air. And like, once again, we know nothing about NASCAR, so we have no idea what to compare it to. But I think that like something that is exciting about Formula One is all the drama around like what the hell is going to happen with every single aspect of this sport. Like nothing is guaranteed except maybe like Michael Massey. Not even because like people think he's not long for this job either. So like, yeah. yeah, everything is basically on the table. You know, the cars change very frequently. The regulations change constantly. The lineups change. But then again, like, I mean... I don't know what other sports are. I don't know enough about, I mean, is Indy, what is IndyCar like with regards to all that? I mean, it's, it's a little different because it's like, a, it's a spec series, right? So like, you know, when it, <clears throat> I guess that's not super relevant to the point, but there, there is a similar amount of like instability when it comes to, I think, you know, team lineups and, and things like that. But there's not the same kind of, you know, mutability when it comes to like where they're racing or like, you know, fundamentally what the rules are, that seems a bit more static, not necessarily like rational, but like at least a little less chaotic. I could be wrong though. I there, like I, while I'm a casual IndyCar fan, I don't have a sound understanding of the infrastructure. There's also like, there's Formula One versus NASCAR. And there's also the world versus America, which we saw when our boy Crofty got just like, got a, what do you call it? Straight arm, not straight arm, straight arm. Is that what I'm looking for? Are you, you're, you're thinking about Brundle. Brundle. Yeah. Sorry. When Brundle got, uh, when Brundle got like, you know, Heisman out of the way, trying to talk to Megan the Stallion, who I think was a totally good sport about it. And I think Brundle was, was rightly kind of annoyed that like, you know, he's earned his place him doing the grid rocks of thing. And like celebrities don't usually have a problem talking to him, whatever. But there's going to be like a reckoning where like Formula One is going to have to understand what it means to be in America. I don't think it's going to go well. <laughs> like, no, because like there's a respect for like, despite everything changing in Formula One, there's still a 
kind of weird respect for tradition and deferential treatment to people who have been there. And that's not very American. <laughs> like there's not a lot of respect for tradition unless they're American traditions. And there's not going to be deference because you know no one knows who no one knows who Martin Brendel is here. Right. That's that's the way I, I read it too, honestly, is the issue for me, or the issue in, in my mind at least, was that they had no idea who the hell this person was. They didn't know that this was like you know, F1 royalty approaching them for a legitimate interview. They probably thought it was like some like paparazzi tier guy, like running up to them and being like, Hey, you've I love that. I love that. He ran up and said, uh, eight bars. (laughs) He was like, Martin Brunel, British television. Like (laughs) just the most, like not even like the BBC or whatever. He just like, I'm, I'm from England. Hello, I'm on the telly. Like, hello, my name's Martin Brundle. We used to own you. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I, I honestly, we, we call chips up. fries, <laughs> or vice versa. I chalked it all up to crisps. Ignorance. I don't think that they knew what was going on, and yeah. alternately, I don't think that Martin Brundle knew that they didn't know what was yeah. going on. He's probably used to reporting from tracks where people have at least the general idea of, if not his face, then his voice. Yeah, it, it was it was an unfortunate situation. I, I feel like Meg didn't really do anything wrong. Like, I don't feel like a celebrity is supposed to, you know, be like, oh, no, wait, bodyguard, whose you know, job is to protect me. Like, yeah. let this one get weirdly close to me. <laughs> I do feel like the bodyguard probably overstepped because it is a gigantic event. And this is a man with a TV crew and, uh, and a microphone. But the one I hated was that one weird, like ninja Tyler Blevins looking asshole at the back. who was just like, Hey, oh, you trying to square up, <laughs> you know, I but, didn't, I- but yeah, it was, it was, it was a, a series of events. That's for sure. It was a series of events. I just think it was probably, a thing that was, it was embarrassing probably for everyone in hindsight. Martin handled it pretty well while still being a bit defensive you know not that i wouldn't have been in his shoes i don't blame him yeah i am very excited to talk about meg's halloween costume the pinhead well i mean yeah because one i i think it was a subtle dig because she made martin brundle look like quite a pinhead hey bear, 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 bear. also she she went and raised some hell in, hey. uh, Austin as well. <laughs> well done. Well and, uh, done. I've been waiting to say that for several hours today. <laughs> you had one note written down for this podcast. Meg, everything else. I'm raising like, I'll hell. Play, I'll play, I'll play. What is my name? <laughs> Formula One. The cars, they're fast. There was a zero, I'm guessing. Uh, this is a trick question. Is there a Formula Two? Speaking of, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, fucking Chris Bosch and Ben Stiller had no problem talking to Martin Brundle. I mean, Ben Stiller wasn't really positioned to, to next anybody, but I mean, you know, Chris Bosch didn't have to, whatever. I thought that the whole thing was overblown. It was cool to see some like legitimate A-list American celebrities there because I think it means a lot. I don't want to do a meme rundown on a podcast, but the memes of Shaq being much larger or much smaller than the racers have been really good. <laughs> Yeah, Shaq being the tallest person on the podium, even though he wasn't standing on a podium, um, <laughs> was very good. What I'm here for. Oh, he also showed up in a like Cadillac with bullhorns on the front. That was pretty great. Say what you will. Not that there's anything bad to say about him. I don't even know why I prefaced it with that. But <laughs> that man is 
the coolest person on earth and I love him so much. Yeah. Apparently a legitimately great DJ. I would like to see him one day. I mean, no comment. He's also kind of a cop, but whatever. Yeah, that's Shaq. We can all agree on on Shaq. But speaking of American culture and and European culture clashing, there was a basketball game of some. There was a shoot around, which was really funny. George Russell taking his first shot ever, just (laughs) just looking like a looking like a dandy lad up there. No jumper. All right. I, I only watched the, uh, I watched like the one minute highlight video one time. So, you know, again, huge expert here, but I, I distinctly remember Charles landing uh, a, a pretty decent shot, but with the weirdest, most uncomfortable form I've ever seen. <laughs> he just kind of like, you know, this is not video, but he just kind of like shoved it. And, but yeah. like, like, but the arc was like unorthodox, but it worked. Right. It was like a straight line at the backboard that dropped. But yeah, Yuki, Yuki and Pierre dribbling two balls at the same time while wearing full race gear. Dikembe Mutombo out there trying to teach Carlos Sainz how to dribble. Just really excellent stuff. And Dana Ricardo making one shot and that being just like plastered all over every piece of official Formula One content over the weekend. Hey. To be fair to our boy, it is a lot harder to land a free throw when you're wearing uh, cowboy boots and a 10-gallon hat as well. I mean, you're right, but (laughs) he wouldn't be the first one to do it. There's definitely someone, there's definitely like some dude in like Brownsville, Texas, that's just like crossing dudes up in spurs. (laughs) Who's the team that won? Was it Aston Martin? Won what? Like the- I feel like Lance Stroll can probably shoot. Well, I just feel like everyone that's, if you're Canadian, you probably have played basketball. Yeah. And Esteban Ocon is tall. So I guess if there was some kind of competition, he probably, you know. He'd probably be okay. Can't teach size, as they say. Also, the pictures of him standing next to, to Alonzo, just, <laughs> Alonzo's a, a tiny man. I mean, like I guess he's not. Five, six. Yeah. He's 5'6". Yeah. He's he's a small guy. He's a short king. Yep. Maybe that's why he's so petty. One of the people on Twitter said something along the lines of McLaren's America's team. And I don't know if that's because like I don't know if Lando Norris is famous in America. There's recently like that like survey they did, and like I think McLaren is like the most popular like worldwide wasn't it david said david said when he got his promo materials for the race like the picture was lewis max and, and lando were on the flyers or whatever which i was surprised I to hear it. i yeah. believe it. like i think that lando is beloved and maybe this is just a we are too old to understand how famous people are on twitch situation totally like i have no concept i barely know what twitch is yeah I do a little bit more because I am a man and a nerd uh, who plays video games, but it's kind of like TikTok where it's like, I mean, I, my one-liner about that is we talk about TikTok the way people in the country probably talk about the big city. Right. Like there's a lot going on there. It seems very exciting and it's too much for me. <laughs> like not for me. But yeah, I guess Danny Rick was getting mentioned in there's an Instagram account that's like gossip centric. And I guess he's been showing up. Oh, yeah. I was reading about that. These are are things I learned from Lily Herman from Engine Failure. You should read Lily Herman's wonderful Formula One newsletter, Engine Failure. It's great. It's really good. Yeah. So Danny, I guess he has like 
maybe not a secret girlfriend, but like someone he's been seeing for two years and just like won't make it official with or something. So I don't know. I feel like she is like, I think she's American. I don't know for sure. We don't know. I'd be surprised if she wasn't. <laughs> yeah. That's why he loves America. Yeah. Yep. You think he uses that accent in the bedroom? I think he does. And then I think she like, you know, rolls her eyes really hard or like walks away and then he stops. Yeah. That's not as much fun. He probably no. wears his boots though. Yeah, he he actually exclusively refers to sex as knocking boots. His first sexual experience was the sex scene in Days of Thunder outside the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> if anyone had ever gotten, I mean, I'm sure how would you even get your bus parked in a Formula One car? It's possible for sure. I'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Ask Will Buxton. Like you could sit on the edge of it, but I mean like literally sitting in the cockpit. Cockpit. Um, <laughs> you're so far down there, you know, like how would you even you'd have to do like a 69 situation, but like, it's like, with, you know, like with your partner literally upside down. Right. Right. I don't see it. Okay, wait, I have an idea. <laughs> what if the pilot slash recipient of said oral were to load themselves into the cockpit backwards head first <laughs> so <laughs> i feel like you know they would be like kind of sticking out a little bit more you know yeah. like technically they're inside of the car but totally like they're curled up like you know a foot in a boot and yeah then the yeah okay yeah i i think that that works well i feel like this definitely happened but it happened in an earlier time when like this is something that like, like this is like, like a james hunt era i was just gonna say james hunt <laughs> but i feel like everybody in the sport right now is like not horny enough to put that much effort in dude i honestly <laughs> like i i'm kind of with you it's like we're in that Marvel Cinematic Universe era where sex is kind of removed from the equation. It's like a, a weird new Calvinism sort of thing that we're entering where even our F1 stars aren't really knocking up a million women in the countryside everywhere they go, you know? There's the the like PG-13 aspect of that, but I think more like how like 69ing is not a thing once you're like, I don't know, what, 22? Like once you've done it a few times, you're like, this is of limited utility. It's better in theory than in practice. And I think it's the same thing about like, Getting your dust hit in a Formula One car, that's a lot of effort to put in. Okay, wait. Do we want to run through some famous Formula One couples and discuss who's the most likely? We're not saying that they have, but of those people, if one of them has. Let's start with the current grid. I mean, like, Kimi Räikkönen has definitely gotten 100%. 100% yeah. gotten, he's definitely tried it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think he succeeded. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go further. I'm going to say that he has kids. I'm going to say that at least one of his children was conceived in a Formula One car. I think the paddock. I don't think in the in the car. Yeah, yeah. you're probably right. Yeah. Okay. Here's mine. Toto and Susie Wolf have totally boned in a Formula One car. I can see it. Yes, absolutely. And Perfect. I'm... I'm just going to admit that the only reason that was near the front of my mind is because I have been weirdly thirsting after Susie Wolf for the last 10 days. She's, she's hot. She, I bet Toto and Susie have a very healthy, healthy sex life. And I think that if I was the 
the principal for a Formula One team, I would absolutely bang my hot, my like hot older wife. I only meant older in the sense of like, there is James Hunt pulling some chick and like getting it done real quick. And then there's Toto and Susie like, eh, eh, we got 15 minutes. That's yeah. the vibe I think is, you know? Yeah. So Toto, Susie, definitely. I don't think, I don't think Christian and Jerry, I don't think that's happening. I don't think so either. I think they run a pretty chaste paddock. Agreed. Oh, hey, here's one that we haven't done yet, guys. And this is still completely within the realm of hearsay. It's now looking like Andretti will not be moving into Formula One, which is so sad. I was like really hyping myself up for it. I've been trying to hold back, but it was looking like it was a done deal for a second there. And now Mario Andretti definitely has gotten his best in a race car. Yes, absolutely. I can ask my uncle if you want. Not that he was the one, you know. (laughs) No. Do you think your uncle's gotten his dust kicked in a race car? No, I, 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 I don't think he knows what podcasts are, but <laughs> we don't have to put that in. Uh, I don't know. Like he was a bit of a ladies man, still kind of is, but you know, he's a charming guy. I could kind of see it. Well, nothing in the rule book says a dog can't play basketball. Nothing in the rule book says you can't get your dust kicked in a, in a race car. So. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is the, uh, the last Airbud sequel that we never knew. We <laughs> it's like a Christian on the, in the middle of the race, bugging Michael Massey saying, Michael, there's a, a dog driving the Alpine car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His name is Fernando Alonso. Hey. <laughs> uh, Estebone Ocon. <laughs> <laughs> Dachshund Ricardo. <laughs> Bichon Freeze is definitely yeah, that's that goes on the list of that could be a team, that could be a driver, that could be a dog. Sponsor. A sponsor, yeah. Bichon Freeze, yeah. Husky Husky Chocolate. Oh, oh it all comes together. Good job. This is my dog Splunk. Wait, so are we done talking about getting your pipes waxed in a in a car? Now that you've started it, I don't know that I'll ever be finished thinking about it, but talking this about is, it. Sure. This is by far the best part of the podcast this evening. One of my favorite things about this weekend, though, is like there's something very poignant here when we talk about like NASCAR no longer being what it was, is Dan Ricardo getting to drive around in Dale Earnhardt's 84 Wrangler and doing donuts on the track, which left the tire marks of the donuts on the track. And were there through the race, and you saw them as the race was going on. It's just there's those, those donuts. The ones near turn one, right? Yeah, yeah. I, it I was like someone getting spun around, but I, I realized later on that it was from Danny Rick, and I, I loved that. Again, speaking of like things that really endeared Danny Rick to me, you know, I I grew up in rural Florida. NASCAR was my entry into motorsports and stuff, and Dale, mm-hmm. even though he didn't win that often, was always my guy because he was the like weird aggro ballsy but not an asshole kind of dude you know like just total blue blood working class guy i guess like that generation's 
petty family. And knowing that Danny really idolized Dale in that way and that he, you know, got to get behind the wheel and got the little shout out from Dale Jr. It was just, it was really sweet. I loved that. Yeah. You don't often get to see someone like achieve their dream. Yeah. I've actually, I've got a, a t-shirt from the, the Daytona 500 in 2001, which I watched from very close by on TV though, which was the race that, that Dale died at. It was a, it was a weird time in that area. Like people were making a lot of songs about <laughs> the Intimidator. So it was, it was oddly touching for me, even though I haven't like touched NASCAR with a 10 foot pole in 20 some odd years. <laughs> 